0: Who goes to number one in their field and shuts down overnight? Had I not shut down my business, I would have never had the psychic and emotional and physical space in my life to welcome in, which was one of the greatest blessings ever. You know, for a woman in business, Sheryl Sandberg taught us to to lean in. My feminine side was nearly dead, and I needed to... There's a paradox in the law of attraction. So on the one hand, you have to have absolute clarity. And on the other hand, you need to be totally surrendered and detached from the outcome. I lost 80% of my business and, and it didn't look like it was coming back. So I was lost. Who am I? What do I do? What's my purpose? I don't know. I said, if you're half as smart as I think you are, you'll hire me. And he said,
1: Hi, Ariel.
0: Hey, Mikey. <laughs> All
1: right. <laughs> so it was 15 years ago. You and I met the first time. It was actually 20 years ago, believe it or not. You and I met the first time in Egypt I'll on a trip. I'll tell you
0: when that was. It was December of 1997 that we met in Egypt.
1: Yes. And that was a trip with uh, Wayne Dyer, Deepak Chopra, and a whole bunch of I'll say highly conscious individuals. 90 of them. All right. And um, we had a great conversation. You and your uh, then, it was, was were Fiance. you even married? Fiance. Yeah. Yes. yes. Brian Brian Hilliard. And we had a great conversation. And then about a year later, I met my now wife, Vivian, in Greece, And it had turned out that she and your sister, Debbie, were very good friends.
0: Oh, Vivian and I were friends back then. We worked together.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And so from one thing led to another. We ended up becoming friends because I got engaged to Vivian, and you and Brian kind of gave the approval because you had met. And then when we moved to San Diego, you became the extended family and I asked you a question, and that's really what the point and purpose of this interview today is. So why don't you share the story? So,
0: well, you left out the most important part of the story, which is that Brian and I became the godparents to your son, Zach,
1: right on. which is right on. still uh-huh.
0: a really big blessing. And um, a few years after all of that, you asked me one day, Ariel, what are you up to? And I said, I'm about to shut down my business. At that point, I had been doing publicity for every famous self-help guru on the planet. And I was also a literary agent. And I was exhausted. And you said to me, okay, then I'm going to sit you down and do a brain drain of everything that you know about books and publishing and creating a platform. And you and I collaborated and created a product called Everything You Should Know about Publishing, Publicity, and Building a Platform. Yeah.
1: In fact, it was Everything You Should Know about Publishing, Publicity, Promotion, and Building a Platform. Oh, that's right. Right. And that went on to um, really, that was in really my very first information product. Mine too. Yep. And (laughs) it turned out... Uh, that led into the Internet Infomercial Toolkit, which was kind of the second, which led into basically my career. And you and I have always been moving in very similar patterns of reinvention. So I think part of our journey today is going to be talking about reinventing yourself, but also about what you're doing now, because you've taken more twists and turns. And I, when people ask me about Ariel Ford, I always say she is the most amazing manifester I've ever met because when you set things in motion with your little subtle capabilities, uh, Mm -hmm. magic happens. It always has for the people you've worked with and yourself. But that's the journey I'd like to go on. So with your permission, let's uh, let's dive deep.
0: Well, uh, let's go back to last November where we were doing a video shoot for Vivian for Just Like My Child, and you randomly said to me, Hey, Arielle, what are you up to? And I blurted out, I'm trying to manifest a free trip to India. And I was really surprised to hear myself say that because I hadn't told anybody else and I hadn't even really thought about it that much. And you pulled out your phone and you said, when do you want to go? I said, early December. You looked at your calendar and you said, great, I'm free then. I'll take you, which completely, utterly blew my mind. So what had preceded that was that I've written 11 nonfiction books. I am very confident in my ability to write nonfiction, but this idea for a novel had been playing in my head, and it wouldn't go away, and I knew that if I were going to attempt to write this novel, which takes place in Rishikesh, India, I needed to go back there to do research. I hadn't been there in a few years And so I didn't want to write the book at all, but I said to God, okay, God, if you're serious, if I really am meant to write this novel, I'll manifest a free business class ticket to India Thinking that, of oh, course, yeah, that's never going to happen. Two days later, it happened. <laughs> <laughs> Which was just, you know, it still kind of blows me away. I mean, who does shit like that, right? You do. <laughs> <Good> <laughs> uh, I mean, it's just amazing. So um, I did go to India. And unfortunately, you had to cancel at the last minute. Uh, you had stuff yeah, going right. on. And in a strange way, it was kind of perfect Because I went by myself, and I've never traveled that far by myself before, but it gave me the freedom to be fully in the present moment, not make any plans, and let magic unfold at my feet, which is exactly what happened. Uh, Everything that I experienced in the seven days I was there is now in the book, which is now almost completed. And that's part one of it. So that would have never been able to occur had you not so generously gifted me with a ticket, but also you're in the book. There's a character in the book, which I'm not going to give anything away, which I'd forgotten about. So um, thank you for that, too. So I, I think it's so great that in some crazy way we have both been like career soulmates, you know, cheering each other on and supporting each other and being at the root cause of the stuff that happens so thanks
1: yeah <laughs> no it's my pleasure and you know what <clears throat> I was thinking through this as you're talking um you know, like every major state of reinvention in my life has happened I, I almost in perfect sync with you I'd say you and I are in a six-month window mm-hmm. of pretty significant and major reinventions, and um, you know, I can remember this is—I'm going to get emotional. You might too, but I mean, when when Debbie passed, mm-hmm. that was during um, when I was going through cancer, and that was a very big turning point. For you, you had a lot going on then because you stopped almost everything during that period oh, of I time. Oh, t-
0: I took a 108-day sabbatical. Yeah,
1: yeah. And then, um, obviously, I had no choice. But right. coming out of that, that turned into a business sale, which started another reinvention. But <clears throat> I want to just go backwards a little bit. And let's let's complete the story of this big reinvention for you which is the book a nonfiction book a no, complete fiction. shift or I mean a fiction yeah. book yes right a- absolutely but I'm curious um why that why now and why the major shift and what does this represent if we were going to take a 50,000 foot view of Ar- Ariel's life um, let's dissect your major transformations your shifts and look at them and say You know, what, if you go back to, let's say your big career, let's say prior to becoming and doing publicity for the personal development market, um, and then that, which also involved a tremendous amount of Oprah activity and then the reinvention and say, I'm going to basically kill this business, this industry of being pretty much the best known of your type, um, to shifting to a soulmate focus. And you've gone down that path for, it's the better share of a decade at Mm -hmm. this point to then the sabbatical and then now this and then the what happens next. So let's just kind of go through. I want your perspective. (laughs) And um, I have a reason for this because I recently bumped into a formula that revolves around being able to predict your own future based upon uh, where your reinventions occur inside your life. Okay.
0: So, so what happened was in 1987, I started my PR firm, the Ford Group. And at that time, I was very focused on commercial stuff, commercial real estate, residential real estate, art galleries, hotels, nonprofits, And the business took off from the moment I opened the door. I was hugely successful, making gobs of money. And that lasted for three and a half years till a recession hit LA. I didn't know what a recession was. I have a bachelor's degree, but I don't have an MBA. All I know is that in the span of six weeks, I lost 80% of my business. And, And it didn't look like it was coming back and so within a few months i went from 4000 square feet of office space on wilshire boulevard and eight full-time employees to uh, a small 250 square foot closet office with a half-time employee and gobs of credit card debt and i was depressed and my boyfriend dumped me all at the same time so i was i was at the bottom at the total bottom and i didn't know how long i was going to be at the bottom but But it turned out to be the best thing that ever happened to me in my entire life because I discovered that I hated my clients. I just hated them. I was in it for the money. I love the money, but I didn't want to reinvent that business. I couldn't go back there. So I was lost. Who am I? What do I do? What's my purpose? I don't know. And I just struggled for probably seven or eight months until I went to lunch one day with a friend who, very much like you, asked me good questions. And he said to me, if you could represent anybody or anything, who would it be? Now, this is 1990 or 91. And I said to him, oh, there's this guy. I'm sure you've never heard of him. He's pretty unknown. But I think he's the best kept secret in America. His name is Deepak Chopra. And my friend said to me, not only do I know who he is, my friend Penny works for him. And so, later that day, Penny called, and she said, this is so funny. Dr. Chopra called this morning and asked me if I could find him a publicist, and here you are.
1: Unbelievable. Uh, Unbelievable. He was (laughs) still
0: in Boston. I was in LA. And a week later, we met. He was 20 minutes late, didn't even apologize for being late, just rushed in and said, I've only got five minutes, and I said, great, I only need two He said, go. I said, if you're half as smart as I think you are, you'll hire me. And he said, deal. And then suddenly I was on this new path because my next client was Louise Hay. My next client after that was Wayne Dyer and then Neil Donald Walsh and then Don Miguel Ruiz, all of whom were really, you know, at the start of all of this. And I found my niche, you know, I could marry my personal interest in self-help and spirituality with my skills
1: and just for the what year was that one more time
0: Uh, by the time it all got rolling it was 92 93 ish okay really at the beginning So it was
1: at the very beginning of the personal development transformational publishing it you know crazy they they all had like one
0: book out at that point and were not household names yet So it was just terrific, and I had a nice, long run, and I got to work with everybody, and I loved it. and then I woke up one day at sometime in 2004, and I thought, I'm just done, I'm complete. I kind of knew I had sacred contracts with all of these people, and It just felt over. And, you know, part of me is thinking, well, who goes to number one in their field and shuts down overnight? But Brian really encouraged me to do it. He said, he said, you know what? It's time. He said, I don't know what we're going to do next because I put both of us out of business. He said, but we're going to figure it out, and I don't want you to get sick. He could see that I was just so stressed out because every single client had the same demand, which was get me on Oprah. And even though I would tell them in the beginning, she really doesn't do your subject matter. Oh, but you got your sister on Oprah. You got this one on Oprah. It's like, listen... You have to understand, it's highly unlikely I'm going to get you on Oprah. Can you live with that? And they'd say yes. And at the end of the day, and after- they
1: really didn't mean it. No, they <laughs> didn't mean it. So
0: it was just stressful, you yeah. know? Yeah. So and I, I,
1: sh- I remember I remember those times because we used to do our Sunday walks all the time. And you'd be, I'd say, how are things going? And on one hand, you'd be like, ah, oh, really good. And the other hand, you'd be rolling your eyes. And I saw the pain- Um, For sure. Uh, And I didn't really know what it was. It was, you know, part of it was there was so much excitement and you had so much buzz. And the way I knew you was in Egypt. I was in awe at how you were managing these gigantic personalities because on that trip. Um, There were, some of them were your clients, okay. obviously had worked with Deepak for a long time, Wayne Dyer, and I don't even remember some of the other ones who were, who weren't the New York Times number one bestsellers back when you actually had to sell books and go on satellite tours and right. pound the ground for okay. a couple, like a couple hundred days right. to build and maintain that momentum. But um Keep on going because, uh, periodically I'm going to interrupt because I want you to, to again, continue to get into the depth of what was going on energetically. And I think symbolically as well, because those, that's the value for the listener too, but keep going.
0: So, um, so I shut everything down literally over a weekend, just shut it down, let everybody go. You know, part of the other impetus was, uh, the lease that we had on our office, the landlord was trying to really jack it up, which was unfair. So it just like that was it. We were done. And then I woke up on a Monday morning and I was like, well, what am I going to do? I got nothing to do. And, you know, a week or two later, the phone rang and this man called me up and he said, hi, my name's Gay Hendricks. Do you know who I am? And I said, well, of course I know who you are. And he said, I want I want you to come to Ojai and meet with me. I have a business proposition for you. So Brian and I, you know, drove five hours to Ojai, sat down with Gay and he said said, I've got this idea for a startup. It's called the Spiritual Cinema Circle. It's a DVD club specializing in conscious films. And I want you to be a partner. And he said, I can't pay you, of course, but you're going to own part of the company. And if we're successful, you're going to make a lot of money. Now, had he asked me that two weeks earlier, I would have said, what are you crazy? You want me to work for free? But suddenly here I am you know, and then he also explained to me affiliate marketing, which was brand new in 2004. And he said, he said, I want you to be the head of the affiliate marketing. You have all these relationships with all these famous people who have big email lists. And here's all the different ways it's going to work. Well, 60 days after that conversation, we were up and running at a profit, getting salaries. I even got a car. Three years later, we sold the business for millions.
1: And by the way, I'm going to throw in a couple pieces here. That was the Netflix of the personal development, personal growth, spirituality business at the time.
0: So what was really great about Spiritual Cinema Circle was that Gay had come up with this concept to put together a monthly DVD that included a feature, a documentary, a short and an animated short that people would pay a monthly fee for, and then they'd get this great DVD that had conscious, spiritual, heart-opening, soul-stirring films on it that you wouldn't see anywhere else. And I was fortunate that I had all these relationships with all the thought leaders and best-selling authors in the field who had big, giant email lists. And I could pick up the phone and call them and say, listen, here's what we're doing. And if you send out an email to your list, you're going to make X amount of dollars on every time, you know, we get a new member.
1: Right. Plus, it was recurring income and a front income. end. Yeah, it was great.
0: Right. So there was some of them. I'm not going to name names, but I remember one one of our affiliates was getting a check from us every month that ran between eighteen and twenty two thousand dollars. So in a very short amount of time, we went from this idea to a very successful business. Uh, had it for three years, and then it was sold for $6 million. Uh, now, I don't want to go into the whole sad story about why I didn't make millions of dollars. Uh, I could have. I had the opportunity, but I, uh, my greedy little capitalist heart thought, oh, well, the company that bought us has millions of customers. If I hang on to my stock, it'll be worth even more. That didn't happen but that's another story for another day. The good news was the point of the reinvention story is very simple. Had I not shut down my business, I would have never ever had that meeting with gay. I would have never had the psychic and emotional and physical space in my life to welcome in, which was one of the greatest blessings ever. So that was three years. And then when it was over, um, I stayed on with the company that bought us for a while longer, but I was bored. I was tired. I didn't want to do this anymore. And I spent a year doing what I call a feelingization every day. People call them visualizations. Visualizations don't work, people. They're pretty pictures in your head. A feelingization is when you drop from your head to your heart and you feel what it feels like to have your desire fulfilled. So I did one every day, knowing that somewhere out in the world was a company that needed me, needed my talents, my resources, my connections. And within a year, I manifested the next seven-year phase of my life, working with Evolving Wisdom, where I got to invent my very own love summit, the Art of Love, which became hugely successful. The very, very first one that we did, which was on uh, Valentine's Day, 2011 we had over 80,000 people on the line you know the first That's check the I got yeah. for my role in that was hundred thousand dollars so I was off on another tangent learning about online learning and having my own e-courses and also using my connections and affiliate marketing to help grow that business and then as we talked about earlier then Debbie got really sick and then she died and then suddenly I realized that I I needed time off. In fact, Brian actually sat me down because I had taken off seven weeks at, for the end of Debbie's life. And then I jumped back into work and I had all these things that only I could do or so I thought. And Brian said to me, I'm really afraid you're going to get sick and die. If you keep this up, you're drained, you're, you're out of gas. And I knew he was right. So, uh, Two months later, I decided to take a full sabbatical, and what that meant was no work, no email, no texting, no social media, just complete media blackout. I had what I called my bat phone. The only one who had the numbers to the bat phone was my mother and my husband, and for 108 days, I got acupuncture and chiropractic and aromatherapy and massages. And we went to Bora Bora and I ate good food and I swam in tropical waters. And when it was all over, I realized I could never go back to that type A push, push, push person that I had been. And, you know, one way I like to describe it is that, you know, for a woman in business, Sheryl Sandberg taught us to be to lean in, right? Be all in, be in your testosterone-driven mind, go, go, go. And what I realized was that my feminine side was nearly dead and I needed to lean back. You know, I needed to receive, I needed to work from my intuitive being. And my intuitive being basically said, work part-time, only work on projects that you love, regardless if you get paid or not. And the most important part was to have faith and trust that the money would come. Because I didn't have, I didn't have, you know, I'd put Brian and I out of work. I didn't have a way to know if the money would come. But I trusted that it would. And it did. And it came from the craziest places. Places, I I, I remember one day I got a check for almost $8,000 on royalties to a product I'd forgotten about. And the publisher had forgotten to pay me for many years. So it was just like that. So what happened next? Um, What happened next was Uh I'm now working on a novel, right? Of course the novel doesn't have an agent yet. It hasn't been sold, but it will be. I'm very confident the novel will also become a movie. And What I've learned so far about the novel was that, you know, I thought it was just an interesting story. I call it conscious chiclet. But the deeper thing that I've learned is that it's an opportunity for me to take all of the things I've learned, whether it's deep spiritual awareness, consciousness, or just basic life hacks, and infuse them into the book there's there's a character in my book who i've named Deepak who who is this very sweet kind older man who owns a spiritual bookstore in india and he meets my heroine holly who has just survived a near death car crash found out her fiance was cheating on her with her best friend and business partner and her life has and and the fiance stole all her money so she, her life has turned to total shit and she ends up in India, supposedly to learn how to cook Indian comfort food, and yet has these transformational experiences. And the book has a surprise ending, which I'm not going to give away, but, but it has a beautiful surprise ending.
1: All right, so I want to go down this path just a little bit, because again, if we take the 50,000 foot view, <clears throat> you went from all of the... Uh, essentially being a servant to some big celebrities for a long period of time and being a gateway um, to developing your own product and your own content, which if we go back a little bit, some of the steps that I remember was um, you had, when we did everything you should know, and then inside of there you ended up doing the soulmate kit. There were some like interesting gaps. So you got Mm -hmm. to prototype a lot of big ideas along the way and then the spiritual cinema circle evolving wisdom all the way to fiction what why fiction why now and why is this significant and how did you learn how to write fiction on top of it i'm curious where the skill and the vision came from
0: you know i have no idea all i know is that the story kept keeps it still to this day is unfolding in my head as a movie. And I'm doing my best to translate the pictures in my head onto the page. And so I've always been a good storyteller. And along the way, I have friends in the business who are reading for me and giving me some direction. You know, I know that the basics of writing is show, don't tell. And yet there are moments in my early writings where I totally forget that. And I'm just telling. So I'm now into deep edits. And so it's with the help of friends that I'm, I'm doing it. And I think, um, there's a level at which I think my sister is channeling these pictures to me because, uh, a lot of the story are things that have happened to her. Of course, I've changed, changed things to protect the innocent and the guilty. And of course added things, but, um, it, it was it's a big surprise to me that I'm doing this. And now that I understand that it's a it's a way for me to share what works for me to a bigger audience, um, it really feels like a new mission. And I don't know where it's going to end up. I'm making lots of assumptions. I'm assuming that I have enough of a platform and a track record that somebody's going to want to publish this. I feel the story's good enough. And more than that, I know it's going to be a great movie. And I will not be making the movie. I'm going to find people who are really good at it, but I do know it's going to be a film. So I think part of it is also that I'm not a planner. I don't have a five-year plan. I've never had a five-year plan. I like to stay in the present moment. Mm -hmm. And I can stay in the present moment because I have a lot of faith and trust that I am always taken care of. And that's that's the big difference. I don't have to worry about, well, well, how are you gonna, you know, pay the rent in two months from now? I don't actually have the answer to that, but I never worry about it either.
1: No, and all the time I've ever known you, that's never been a driver. You know, you just stuff just shows up. There's no question about, it. and you're not afraid to ask and talk about what's going on. And so again, let's just take a step back here. Um, I want to ask you if you looked at. Who or what were the heroes and the enemies in your life at the times of these transitions? Does that register or show up for you in any way, shape or form?
0: Um, Well, certainly Brian's always been my biggest cheerleader and hero and given me the strength to walk away from things that aren't working. And when it appears that things are crashing he the one he he always reminds me you know my favorite favorite line in a course in miracles is in this moment i have everything that i need so when i start spiraling down i remember like in this moment is there anything else that we need no we've got a chair to sit in we've got fresh water to drink clean air to breathe you know love and friendship to exchange So And that's always true for everybody. In this moment, I have everything that I need. So yes, there are days when I need to remind myself of that. And I have a deep spiritual toolkit, uh, whether I'm tapping, doing the Sedona method, doing a heart lock-in, doing a feelingization. I don't let myself. I do a lot of emotional management, you know, because I've got my own stuff. I've got my own fears and anxieties. I just don't let them take me down.
1: That's, uh, I would agree with that. All right. How about um, any outside indicators? Were these all internal during these transformational times? You just felt like you were done? And what is, how does that show up for you? Like what would, what would go on internally?
0: It, It always came with, you know, random thoughts at first, you know, Maybe this is over. Maybe I need to do something else. And I would always push it away, you know. And then if I didn't listen, then it would come with a feeling of dread, you know. And I would feel it in my chest like, I, I don't think I can do this much longer. And, then, you know, the, the monkey mind would be going, you can't walk away from this. What are you, crazy? Blah, blah, blah. And eventually, I would just have this deep knowing and remembering, like, I survived the re- recession of the early 90s. I survived walking away from a successful business. Not once, but multiple times, you know. And then I, I, sometimes things would come to me in dreams. Like, I remember one of the first um, public events I ever did, I did with our friend Joel Roberts. I think it was... Um, Oh, maybe nineteen eighty nine or something, we put on we put on an event to teach authors how to do their own publicity because I was getting more calls than I could handle. And and the night not the night, the week before we were doing the event, I had this dream that I gave away my media database, which was the core of my success. These are the private numbers of all my producers at Oprah and my, you know, editors at the LA Times. And and so you don't, you people hired you for your database. You didn't give it away, but the dream was so strong. And so I did, I gave away the database and it didn't hurt me at all. But it, what it did was we sold out the event.
1: Right on. So you, you, um, You gave them them what they wanted, and then you delivered what they needed. Exactly. uh, So that's good. Um, So the next curiosity question I have is, um, you have a great way of asking and cultivating relationships. And I want to talk a little bit about how you think about your relationships, how you cultivate, when you reach out, when you ask, when you give, um, because this is very natural, but you have an incredibly deep set of relationships with people that go back decades, who love you, trust you, show up for you, no matter what. And you also know when to end them. And you're not afraid to just walk away uh, when... Something isn't right. I want you to just talk a little bit about that.
0: Well, part of it w- was um, a skill I developed doing PR. You know, so when you get a reporter on the phone, you don't have a lot of time to win them over. So I knew I had to uh, build rapport instantly with them. So I'll, I'll give you one example. There was um, there was a um, a money reporter at USA Today. And I don't remember what I was pitching, but it was something back in the 80s. And, and he had a Jewish name. I don't remember. What, I think his name was Bruce Horowitz, actually. And I got him on the phone and I said to him, I said, Bruce, this is a crazy thing to say, but did you go to Hollywood Hills High School in Florida? And he said, no, but my parents live in Hallandale, and I said, oh, my God, do they live at Three Islands? Everybody in Hallandale lives at Three Islands. He said, yes, how did you know? I said, oh, you know, I think we're all part of the same tribe. In 15 seconds, he's now my new friend. Did he do the story? Absolutely. You know, so for me, it was always about how quickly can I make somebody my friend? You know, so I would find common ground, you know, and then I would give them a good pitch, just one, you know, and if even if they didn't go for it, I'd say to them, listen, I understand this isn't right for you right now, but I want you to know I'm an amazing resource. I know tens of thousands of people. If you're ever on deadline, you're working on something and you need something, here's my home number. You can call me day or night. I'll help you. And so it's always been like, how can I further the friendship you know, and it just became a natural part of being for me. hmm
1: mm-hmm. Yep, I can see that, and that is um, that makes a ton of sense. Because again, I've watched you so many times where um, you are in deep rapport on a personal level, and it goes way beyond the business relationship for sure. So that makes a ton of sense. Can you think of any other examples that pop out about uh, developing relationships, like? In, in the case of Gay Hendrix, he reached out to you. Mm-hmm. Um, but what about some of uh, some of the more recent, deep, meaningful relationships of people who've just shown up for you, especially during these moments of transition and transformation and reinvention?
0: You know, it, it just seems to happen. I'll have an idea in my head. Oh, God, I really... This, this happened here at your house recently. Um, so I want Mira Nair to direct my film. Okay, she did Monsoon Wedding. She's this great Indian born director. She's fabulous. And our mutual friend Lee was here and he said, oh, what's new? And I was telling him about the story and it's going to be a movie, but I really need to get to Mira. And he said, oh, I can help you. He takes out his phone. He dials like a 16 digit number. And then he hands me the phone. He says, talk to Anya. I don't know who I'm talking to. It's like, Hi, I'm here with our mutual friend Lee. I was telling him I need to be connected to Mir Nair, and he's put you on the phone with me. She said, Oh, I'm a film producer. I can help you with that.
1: Nice. How that's, do you
0: explain that?
1: That is that is typical Lee, by the way, yes. too, for yes. those. Uh, yeah. All right. Good. I like that, too. And that is, again, it's back to the ask, yes. um, which was, <clears throat> oh, that's really fascinating. And it's also. <clears throat> Future focused asking that you do. Um, you know, when you were talking about the India thing mm-hmm. that just popped out, it turned out that the, r- the reason the timing works so well is I just had probably the best year of my professional life. I was reinventing and winding everything down. I had just sold a bunch of product, including um, basically gotten a commitment or near commitment on my business. I knew it was going to happen. Um, so it was like an immense amount of relief and I had that open window and I was thinking about going to India also. So it was just like, I wanted to give and you've been such a bright shining light in my life in so many ways. And it wasn't like reciprocity. I didn't want anything from you. I just thought, Oh my God, I always trust you when you are going through this cycle because when you explode, you're like a sun and just so many cool things happen. It's fascinating to watch. It's fun to watch. I love watching your successes and with it come new reinventions that affect all of us in, in the tribe. So, um, um, That's really, really interesting. Um, So I'm going to ask you one more question. Any commentary on that one um, before I move on to my last Uh, question?
0: No, except that our our friend Sadhvi is already planning my book party at the ashram in Rishikesh, so we will go to India again to launch the film
1: and the book. Good, good. So she's been reaching out to me daily lately. Sadhvi? Yeah, for a little little ask. I interviewed her not long ago also. Um, Okay, so next big question has to do with... um, You're an amazing manifester. And some of that is just this intuitive gift. Some of it's because you've been surrounded with very um, uh, real spiritual people for a long, long time. But like when you set your mind in motion, things just happen and they happen very, very quickly. How much of that is conscious and how your process? So obviously, I know you've got your feelingization, but just describe. When you desire something and you want something and you get specific about it, how it happens and what your uh, what your little process is, because you do yeah, have a process. Well,
0: so, so for me, there's a paradox in the law of attraction. So, on the one hand, you have to have absolute clarity about what it is you're asking for, and on the other hand, you need to be totally surrendered and detached from the outcome. And you have to be in action. You have to be willing to take steps. You can't win the lottery if you don't buy a lottery ticket. That sort of thing. So for me, when I when the desire comes up, you know, I I play with it a little bit. You know, what is it? Why is it? And it's like, yeah, yeah. Wouldn't it be lovely if I could really make this happen? And at the same time, I stop thinking about it and I just give it up and let it go. And then. Sometimes it happens within minutes, and sometimes it takes days, and sometimes it doesn't happen at all. And when it doesn't happen at all, I don't, I don't worry about it. You know, I trust that, that um, well, let's do a little quantum science. So here's my belief, and, and it's shared by a lot of smart people. So in quantum science, we know that there is no time. There's just this now moment. There's no past. There's no future. There's just now. We also know that we all exist in a field, and in this field we're already connected to everything and everybody. So when I'm in the field, in the now moment, I know that my desire is already fulfilled. I it does it's it's not missing in any way. So I go and visit it. You know, I teach this in my in my soulmate secret workshops where you know women especially are living like love is missing. I have to find my soulmate. They're out there somewhere, or they're not out there at all. But when I take them into the field, I do this process called the golden cord feelingization, where I have them drop into their heart. We get into a state of remembering ex- re-experiencing love. We send this golden cord into the unseen world, into the field, and it lands in the heart of their soulmate who they don't know their name, they don't know when they're going to meet them, but they start the relationship in that moment. I call it love before first sight. And they can go there every day and start communicating and start talking and start getting present that in this now moment, what I've asked for is already mine. So that that for me is reality. I know it. I trust it. I have faith that it always works, either that or something better. So if the something I ask for doesn't come, it's only to my advantage. That's
1: great. That's great. I think um, while I listen to you, my process is pretty similar. So I've I've always turned it into a performance to attract that which I desire. And it came from um, Manifest Your Destiny from Wayne years ago. And it's... um, it's who do you need to become right now to become attractive to that, which you desire. Mm -hmm. And the way I would imagine it is I would imagine myself on stage in front of an audience and delivering the message, the knowledge, the experience that they need in order to, to be what they wanted to be. And that in turn made me a servant and a messenger for whatever that was. It's, it's basically an actor, I Mm -hmm. guess for lack of a better term and that would be to get in rapport and in relationship. And it sort of goes back to, I suppose, a Dale Carnegie is, you know, if you help enough people get what they want, you get what you want too. But um, I, I love that, the fact that you connect it energetically, you create... Um, uh, again, so much of the conversation. So, really, again, it's very similar in the sense that you need to be capable of the conversation and the message necessary to find, attract, and, and be in relationship and with that which you desire. Yeah. And
0: then you have to have the act of faith. Right. You know, so for me, I just start living like it's all true. You know, since we're making it all up anyway, mm-hmm. why not make up the best possible story? You know, and where most people get tripped up is that they feel like, you know, they're unworthy, they don't deserve it, it's not possible because they're stuck in the how is it going to happen? How am I going to manifest this $7,000 ticket to India? You know, I can't figure out how it's going to happen. It's not your job to know how. It's your your job to be open, willing and available to receive that which is already yours.
1: Right on. Okay. So um, I have one more question well before the final final and I want you to take a look again at the pattern of your reinventions a little bit and know that right now you've got this fiction book. It's about to come out. You've got the movie that you're manifesting in the background. And if you had to guess what, could possibly be your next phase of evolution based on the velocity and the direction you're moving in. Do you have any hunches or any itches that are showing up for you?
0: You know, I haven't, I, I stop myself from going there because it takes me out of the present moment and I don't need to know because I do trust that something magnificent's unfolding. And the truth is, you know, had... You told me in 1996, let's say, with the height of all the chicken soup for the soul stuff I was doing. If you had said to me, Oh, you're going to walk away from all of this and you're going to become known as a love and relationship expert, I would have been on the floor laughing. And you could have said, I have proof it's true. And I would have said, You're full of shit. You know, so even if you could tell me what five years from now is going to look like. I wouldn't believe you anyway. So why spend any time there? What I want to do now, I mean, the thing that I'm up to right now as I'm doing these edits and trying to make my book even better is I have a ritual every day and I light a candle and I say a prayer and I invoke my inner Elizabeth Gilbert writing master and then I eat three peanut M&Ms and then I write.
1: It's awesome. (laughs) There we go. That's, that's, uh, that's, that's very much what I was looking for. That's great. And so here's my final question for you. Uh, if you could wave a magic wand or have a big ask right now from our viewers and listeners, what might it be?
0: Oh, wow. Um, Ooh, that's yeah yeah so juicy <laughs> yeah because I again, I'm
1: looking for um, you've got this big ask and let's just pretend that somewhere in this audience that I have right now um, is someone who was tickled and inspired by this conversation and wished to be in relationship and connected with you and might just happen to have exactly what you need right now or in the near future what might that be
0: um you know I'm thinking of lots of different things but the thing that keeps coming up is I I have about 21,000 people on my newsletter. I send it out every Tuesday morning and I work really hard on that. I give really good valuable life-changing content. You know, I would really like to have more people see my newsletter and they can just go to my website to sign up for it because then as things progress with the novel and with the movie I can keep them in the loop. And the other thing I want people to know is I'm very accessible. Anybody wants to talk to me, my email is my name at gmail.com. I, I respond to everybody personally. I don't do any coaching, but I'm great at referrals. I know if you have a problem, I know where to send you.
1: Great, great. And what what website do you want to send people to? What would be your oh, it's, best?
0: It's soulmatesecret.com.
1: Great, awesome. All right, well- as usual, I love you. I and love you, Mikey. This is always fun. So let's make sure we do another one, uh, especially as you get closer to publishing time.
0: Once I have an agent and a publisher and a producer and a director, I will call you.
1: All right. And, of course, I'm going to see you before then. Yes. Anyway, so, well, um, let's leave it at this. This has been an absolute pleasure. And... The next step is really easy. So for anyone who's watching, listening to this, uh, visit Ariel's website. You can reach out to her at arielford at gmail.com. I have it in the show notes. And then finally, if you've enjoyed this episode, make sure you go to iTunes and leave a review because I look at all of them. And you can also leave a voice message for either myself or... Um, And that is at capabilityamplifier.com. And I want to thank you once again. And thank you for listening and watching as well. Thank you.